1: Welcome to Dropping In,
2: a podcast of storytelling and interviews with your host, Winter Olympian Mercedes nickel
3: Thank you so much for dropping in on episode 16. Now this is a series that I chat with a diverse group of Whistler kids. We all grew up in this small Canadian mountain town. From actors to Olympians, business leaders to DJs, a lot of talent has come out of our small Whistler town. And today I chat with our sixth Whistler kid. Let me introduce episode 16's guest that we'll be dropping in with. He grew up as a member of the Whistler Mountain Ski Club program. He raced on the BC Ski Team for two years and the Canadian Alpine Ski Team for two years, retiring from ski racing in 1997. He usually gets over 100 days skiing on our mountains. He and his wife are raising their four children in Whistler, British Columbia. He sits up on the board of the Young President's Organization, BC Chapter, and he was the chairman in 2019-2020. to 2020. He is also the chair of One Whistler Committee. He is the president and CEO of Gibbons Whistler. I'm happy to introduce this father, brother, son, husband, business leader, and Whistler kid, Joey Gibbons. Are you ready? Joey, I start the podcast with the rapid fire 10 questions.
1: Okay. (laughs) Number one,
3: I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyways. I've asked all the Whistler kids this one, Whistler or Blackcomb? Whistler. So definitive. Perfect. Number two, what's the best thing that's happened to you this month?
2: Best thing that's happened to me this month, just having a full day with my family on the lake in and Anderson Lake, just us and nobody else on the lake.
3: Oh, beautiful. Number three, what's one thing you still have from your childhood? A teddy bear. Really? Yeah. Cute. Okay. <laughs> Number four, <laughs> how did you start your day?
2: This morning, I um, got uh, woke up this morning at 4.30, which is a bit nuts, and then uh, came outside and uh, waited for the sun to come up and, and um, had a just caught up on some stuff and then had a nice conversation with my mom, actually, this morning for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and spoke about you and your mom, actually, a little bit. On, I know. Uh, I just
3: saw your mom yeah. yesterday, really briefly. Yeah.
2: She's looking good. Yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah. okay any coffee in there
2: lots of coffee
3: lots of coffee that's a good answer <laughs> okay number five name one thing you've learned the hard way i've learned a lot of things the hard way
2: <laughs> yeah name one thing i've learned the hard way gosh i've learned so many, there's a, there's a ton of things but you know mostly just um so fortunate on in so many different uh scenarios but you know i've I've failed lots on on a lot of things but i don't think i've ever been scared to fail so i would say i think the hardest ah god it's all the hard way um
3: it's a good answer too
2: (laughs) one thing i've yeah, I'd say one thing I've learned the hard way is, you know, I, I I just read, you know, everything good is uphill, right? Like everything, everything worthwhile is uphill. So I, I do think that anything is, and everything is the hard way. Anything that you want to be great at is the hard way. And I think I've just, I'm comfortable with that. Yeah,
3: that's very true. Good, good life lessons with Joey here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Number six, if you had to choose one of these three, what would be your favorite? bike, walk, or swim. It is summertime, so who knows what you're going to choose. Walk. Walk.
2: You can do that for a lot longer.
3: Nice. Number seven, are you a morning person or a night owl?
2: I've always been a night owl, but I think I've switched to a morning person just in the last few years. Really? Is that because of the kids? I think it's because of, I don't know, I'm just excited to get up. and um, I used to be excited to stay up and now I'm getting excited to get up. So, um, I don't know.
3: Sweet. Yeah. Okay. Number eight, book or Netflix? Book. And audiobook. what is the – Oh, audio book. And what is – are you currently listening to something?
2: Yeah. I read um, a ton. Like, I, I've continuously am reading a ton.
3: And what – do you, do you want to share what the last book that you finished was?
2: Yeah, I just finished a really good book called Reinventing the Organization. Um, before that, I read Matchmakers. Um, and I'm reading one right now called eh, – I don't have it in front of me. but it's, That's okay. Um, yeah.
3: I never – I always say I never remember. Like, I'm a reader, and I forget what I had just read. It's like on to
2: the next, on to the next. <laughs> yeah. I found the best way for me to do it is I go – like, so this is where I – like, I don't – I mean, we can talk about this a little bit later, but I don't really, for me, it's less around the skiing, actually skiing. I don't get a huge enjoyment out of skiing. I just get an enjoyment out of, and, and this is something worthwhile chatting about, when we chat about, it, I think, but it's like, cause I don't know what it's like for you, but I listen to books. So I, I go and hike quite often. I go back into the flute area and I just like hike and I, I do, will do like three or four laps. So I'm getting exercise and then I listen to books while I'm there. So I'll go out in the wintertime and go for three or four hours of just continuously listening to whatever it is that I'm trying to learn about, whether it's like a spirituality piece or it's a leadership piece or a business piece. So I've, le- I've gone through probably more books than I know anyone I know. So
3: You're a multitasker. Mm-hmm. Not many men are multitaskers. Ooh, low blow.
2: Sorry.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Number nine, what is your favorite sport? Skiing. That's funny that you just said that. <laughs> In your multitasking ways. Number ten, what mm-hmm. is your life motto? I'm like giving you real hard questions. I'm sorry. <laughs>
2: No, no, I'm, I'm all good. They're good questions. They're good. It's good for me to think it's just since COVID, I've just been going, 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 going. And I haven't really, like, I've been thinking about, but pretty one dimensional. This just is good for me to think this, other, nice. this other stuff. Um, my life motto, I would say um, happiness.
3: It's hard to come by sometimes.
2: Mm-hmm. But Ups like, and downs. Achieve ultimate happiness. Yeah.
3: Don't we all? All right, that was the rapid fire, Joey. Thank you so much. I think the listeners will learn a lot more about you as we go into chatting about growing up in Whistler, where it's taken you, and now how you have four children that are also Whistler kids, which is very cool to see all the generations um, flourish in in this small little mountain town. So, when did your parents move to Whistler? Should we talk about that?
2: Well, yeah. So I can tell you that like, when my dad was in his early twenties, he first in 1967 is when he first got a place in Alpine. And, um, what happened is my dad really like, he was a lawyer in Vancouver and then he would come up on the weekends and really felt like this. And he was never a skier. He was never a core sort of skier guy. He was a quarterback in, in, in Vancouver. And, but he felt like a real, connection like an escape when he got up there and mm-hmm. so it was allowed it allowed for him to reset so he got up into the mountains and felt this real escape so that when he got back into the city um on monday for work he could he felt refreshed and so when there became an opportunity in the 70s to um invest in the village he sold his place in alpine and um basically got rounded up eight friends and they bought they built that uh, you know where the amsterdam and the boca and that building. And so we built that building and that would have been in the seventies and he actually sold our place in Alpine to build that building. So we got mm. our unit finished, the one, the corner unit right above the bakery closest to the mountain, that unit. And he got that unit finished for that Christmas. And the three of us, my mom and dad and I, it was 19, I think it was 79 or 78 right before my sister was born. But that Christmas, um, just the three of us were the only ones in the village, which is crazy to think about. Right. Wild. So yeah. And then from there, he had an investment in Whistler. So we were up, um, we lived in Horseshoe Bay and we would come up, you know, on the weekends and he'd check in, in the summertime, right. And a big part of his job in the, in the, was to try to get people there in the summer because the season wasn't, um, well, actually if I rewind a little bit more, it's, it's his idea was that him and eight friends were going to own the eight units above. Mm-hmm. I believe there's eight. And then they're going to sell off the commercial space underneath it. And um, but in the early '80s, 70s and 80s, they couldn't sell that space. And so they had to take it over themselves. And it was a place called Stonies back in the day. It wasn't multiple places like um, Norbert has it now. It was just one unit upstairs called Stonies, And then downstairs, that was uh, Max Fish before that, Garfinkel's. And before that was a place called Club 10. And so he ran Stonies themselves, so young guys in their 30s. And it was a total you know it was chaos like the first night he tells me it was it was wild right and i think it's a big part of where that village energy still that youthfulness is today i mean was yeah. there it was built by a bunch of 20 and 30 year olds yeah. in the village literally and so i think that's a huge part of where that soul originates from i mean not just guys like my dad but a, a whole group of those type of 20 year olds that were attracted to this town to and they just started doing stuff mm-hmm. and it was their town um So So that would have been in the seventies. Yeah. And then, and then I guess we were just coming up on the weekends and, you know, over time I met my best friends like Davey Barr and um, you know, these people that were in Whistler and I just knew those were my people. And, you know, I was in Vancouver, I was going to school there. I was going to French immersion school in the city and going to, you know, the high school in uh, Sentinel, but I was skiing on the weekends. They put me in through the ski program. Like I always went through ski scamps and I was just like, when I got to see my, people it was so happy and I did baseball and all the regular sports in the city that
1: Mm -hmm. seemed
2: like the normal thing to do but and I was fine at them but I really wanted my dad at 12 years old said okay you need to choose a sport now because I was doing hockey and baseball and soccer and skiing all at a pretty well whatever High high, high enough level that you've got to be committed to it yeah and so he I needed to make a choice and so I chose skiing and that just got me up to Whistler on Thursday Friday Saturdays when I was I guess in grade nine and grade 10 and then at the end of grade 10 Um, my buddy Max Thornhill um, got sent off to boarding school and not sent off he He went to boarding school in Brentwood and so I phoned up the Thornhills and I was like hey since Max's room's available do you think I could move in yes uh, I didn't know that that's hilarious yeah and so I moved in there and that was great 10 and then um, went to school in Pemberton. And so, and then my parents followed me up the next year and they moved to the next year. So I would have been like 91, I guess, or 92-ish. Okay. So, 90, so let, 91, for, 92.
3: So for our listeners that don't know, um, but I was the first um, grade seven to start the Whistler High School um, the whole way through. So everyone before my hmm. grade had to go to Pemberton to go to school if you were living in Whistler to bus yeah. up and then bus down. So it was pretty interesting, yeah. fun facts right here. <laughs> so you moved in yeah. with the Thornhill. And we
2: all did it and we all enjoyed it.
3: Yeah. And then your parents moved up here. And then did you go away to school?
2: I To so, like been, university?
1: So,
2: yeah. So we were, that was, I guess, in 92. Then I graduated from Pemberton High in 94 then um did the canadian team for a couple of years you know was traveling Yeah, i didn't know that Europe so
3: that. we are we are um a different age so we didn't go to high school together and i i liked these um intro where i didn't know you were on the bc team and then the national team for two years how was that
2: it was good i wasn't like on the world cup or anything but you know I, when i was a kid And I remember watching, one of the big things that drew me to the town was when I was a kid and I watched that World Cup come down into the village in the 80s. -hmm. And I saw these guys that were like skiing. You know, like when I was a kid, Dave Murray, for instance, Julia's dad used to take me out of ski camps and take me skiing. And so Mm -hmm. the crazy Canucks was like, and, you know, and then they all of a sudden raced in Whistler and I got to go. And I remember, I still like vividly remember, I don't remember a lot of things from my childhood, but I do remember hiking up the mountain to the base of the, of the mountain there where that you know there's still the old timing shack is still yeah. there
1: Yeah.
2: um and watching the race come down into that space and um and uh it had a profound impact on me I saw these guys wearing the national team uniforms and they were ripping the mountain too they were like free skiing and they were so just like oh my god that was the dream so from that moment I was like that's what I want to do I want to wear the uniform and so I was pretty like dedicated to getting there And yeah. so uh, yeah, I so for 2 years I was on the they had a development team and then they actually after that next year had a junior team and so I did that for 2 years. Um and then uh yeah, I basically was 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 over it quite quickly and It's um, not t- an easy sport to, to, to stay. University.
3: It's not easy sport to stay in, I would say.
2: I'd say my um, if you were to talk to my coaches from back then, my my natural athleticism got me probably there. I didn't put too, enough – Put like the amount of effort you need to be, to be good at stuff, it's like now that I'm recognizing that, I didn't put enough effort into it.
3: Yeah, yeah. I it's would just, always have people tell me, oh, you should go work out. And like snowboarders didn't work out. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like I don't get it. And now I'm like working out on my own and loving it. I was just like, why didn't I have that? When I was younger, mm-hmm. <laughs> life mm-hmm. lessons learned. So it's funny yeah. that you bring that up, that you you saw those athletes skiing because I just did an interview with Stan Ray. And I was like, what makes a mm-hmm. Whistler kid just so great? At We have just so many great people that have come out of Whistler, not just athletes, but we have songwriters mm-hmm. and actors and DJs and everything. Like you're a business leader. And it is funny because... Stan said, he's like, you know, you're going up the chairlift with like these professional skiers when you're 13 years old and that's just who's your next friend, but that was your idol. And, and it's so cool to see that. So fast forward, you did all of that, achieved that goal, and then went to university and became, you took over your father's business, correct me if I'm wrong. And now it's just booming so- all over town.
2: Well, so what happened was, um, so it was, I remember I was out on a ski race and I was actually having a conversation with uh, Willie Rain, who, Mm. I don't know, do you know Willie?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He used to be the national team of the ski cross team.
2: Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so he was my coach on that last year. And I remember he was, I was at a race in the state somewhere and he pulled me aside and he said, he just said to me, he goes, listen, you should go home. He goes, you don't like what you're doing. And I was like, no. And he's like, don't, don't do what I did or something along those lines of like, don't let people just tell you because you're talented, you should stay there. You got to follow your heart. And if it's not here doing this, you should just like go and follow your heart. And so that was a really huge conversation. And I remember it clearly. Um, I feel like I was in Sugarloaf at the time. And so then I went home and I stopped ski racing and my dad was like, oh, what are you going to do now? life? Right? I didn't have very good grades in high school because I basically, that was one of the bonuses in ski racing is you never had to go to school. Yeah. And so I avoided that one um, and f- figured out how to just kind of get through barely. But I was, I was walking through the village one day and my dad's like, how are you? you know, I'm like, oh, I'll just write my grade 12 equivalency and I'll go to Cap College somehow and I'll, I don't know, I'll figure it out. Anyway, I'm walking through the village and I run into a guy that I went to, that I knew from, I think like elementary school or from, you know, anyway, when I was a kid and I ran into him, his name was Matt Hamilton. And he said, Hey Joey, how's it going? I said, I'm good. And he said I said, he said, what are you doing? I said, well, I just stopped ski racing. So I'm actually thinking of going to school and trying to figure all that out. And then he goes, Oh, well, this is Brock Matthews. You should, um, uh, Brock Matthews, uh, we go to Bishop's uh, University in Quebec and Brock's the um, coach of the ski team there and okay. the captain. Okay. And Brock's like, yeah, you should come ski for us. And I said, well, I'd love to. Can you like get me into your school somehow? Because uh, it was a business school, right? And he's like, I actually, I can because the dean of the business school, a guy named Bill Robson, great guy, and his wife, Lisa McRae, incredible person and huge role models for me. They run the business school and they have a cabin down in Sugarloaf and they'll know you from your ski racing career. So let me give them a call. So, so he gives them a phone call and within a week, they said, yeah, put an application in because I guess each dean of a business program gets a few little like, uh, you know, can, can help people in if they see special circumstances. My jaw is so- dropped
3: right now. I'm like, what? And then keep going. <laughs>
2: Yeah. So, so then um, I don't know, I got a letter of acceptance to go to business school. I was like, like, this is like August. This was in August. This all happened. And I'm like, here, dad, I'm going to business school. And I literally like joined my smart friends from Pemberton who were like uh, Bruce McKnight, who was heading off to McGill and Joel Jakes, who was heading off to Queens for engineering and to get into medicine. And I got to like jump in my truck. We just like jumped in my truck and drove across the country to university. And I was all of a sudden, I never thought of myself as going to university. I didn't even think, I didn't even think about it. I I just didn't think about it. And uh, within a month I was off to business school and um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's what happened. And then um, went off, went drove across the country, dropped those guys off. And I was quite committed to find a girlfriend um because on the ski racing in whistler there wasn't a ton of people that lived in whistler at that time like, like when i graduated from pemberton high there was 30 of us that graduated in our grad class yeah um and the range was from darcy all the way to black tusk right. so you can think of that like 30 people including mount curry <laughs> yeah. darcy pemberton whistler and right and there's 30 of us in our grad class
3: yeah
2: um the people that you know like feet Banks was in my grad class and uh Corey hey, Malachney, Gordy Gordy Menzel, like a lot of great uh Haley Saint Arnaud. Um anyway, some uh yeah, a lot of great people. Carrie uh Hunter. You probably could name
3: here. all of them because you're like a tight family, because there's only thirty of Yeah,
2: you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so a good anyway, we, it's um, a good thing. Yeah. So we went off to bishops and and um I uh was exce- you know I I met my wife Krista within the first month of being there and um we're still together now and we've got four kids and it couldn't have you know so so timing was perfect for me on that front and um yeah as far as the business is concerned I I was I was through, I was always that kid in high school that threw parties and all the way through high school in Whistler and my my parents we had a, our house was on Lake Placid Road it was a log house there across from like the park Mm-hmm. um and there was a garage and so I was just my parents would rather, rather me throw parties at home than kind of go out into the village and cause trouble and so we just did that every weekend I had parties there and I've enjoyed hosting parties more than going out yeah. and so when I went to university I just started I kept doing the same thing and then got an opportunity to run the school bar there and so I worked my way in as a bartender and then I applied to be the general manager and I got that job And then um, had a lot of success there. And then I was like, dad, you got a bar, like let me run this thing. And he basically said, no chance, you're doing that. So go find a real job. So a bit different than I think you sort of think about it, but like. yeah.
3: So he said no chance and then what?
2: So he's like, no chance. Like you're not gonna get into the bar business. Like go be a lawyer, go like, you know what I mean? Like you gotta get a real job. And meanwhile you're already
3: in the bar business at school.
2: Well, and, and not only that, like my, that Dean, Bill Robson, who again, just like, what an incredible guy. Um, he was the one who taught me when I went to business school, I was so nervous. I was so scared of all the smart kids that were in there. Right. Because I could never understand how to do school. I just never got it. I never yeah. got how to, I just didn't get it. And I just thought I was stupid and everyone, you know, I just, but what he said to me is he goes, you know, like when you're throwing a party, you've got to like, think about statistics, right? Like you got to think of, um, um, you know, the, the, the population who's there and you need a certain amount of boys or certain amount of girls or, Mm -hmm. you know, and he would just like, he basically said to me, he goes, Joey, you see all these kids that are like putting their suits on and briefcases and showing up to class to like get their business degree. They're all trying to learn what you already know how to do intuitively. It's ingrained in you. He just kind of like, yeah. And he just like, he just worked it all backwards. Yes. Um, for me and gave me a lot of confidence. So he's like, you're going to have to teach yourself how to do calculus. Like you think of things differently. And Mm -hmm. so I just had to learn, like I had to learn. I just, yeah. And so then over time I got a lot more confidence and then I all of a sudden got more confidence and I figured out how to do school. Um, and then I also figured out that I could, uh, you know, I used to just throw parties and not really think about, I never thought about the money side of things. Mm -hmm. I still don't, like it's still never been my motivator. I I always think about like, if you just can create a room, fill a good people. I was like, Oh man, that's like a job, right? Like, because (laughs) people want to buy that experience. You can, whatever, you can have a, you can um, pay for life by, by doing that. Yeah. And yeah. So I had success at that school and then, yeah. And so my dad said no. And so I actually went to my roommate, Jonna White, who was on the Alberta team we went to university together and um, his dad um, was a successful business guy named Peter white. And um, I went to them and said, Hey, listen um, I think that we should put university to work. And I was uh, went to Banff and we were really close to buying a bar in Banff and um, doing a business there. And then at that stage, my dad, I think, you know, I know for sure my dad just wanted the best for me and he just didn't want to take opportunity away from me. So just because he had a law firm, like he was a lawyer, but he only had a bar. He just didn't want to take opportunity away from me and, and he was trying to push me to go do something else. Um, and all I wanted to do was show my dad, I think that, you know, I could do a good job for him. And so, yeah, so I, um, he at that point, he like didn't give me a job. So I had to go like run his concession stands at the softball fields and like trying to hustle my way in there. And then finally I got a job as a busser. And then I knew, I knew if I could just get my foot in the door at any position, I could be the best busser and the best porter. And it took about a year. And then I just, I, you know, became the assistant manager. And then when it was time, even when it was time to become the general manager, after all of that, mm-hmm. he's like, no, you're 24 years old. You can't be the general manager here. Like, what do you know? And he flew a guy in from Calgary and flew all these other guys in. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And I had to like put a suit on and go do my interview. It's so
3: interesting. That's just, that's just, we talk uh, like in the previous ones about parents and how they shape us. And Mm -hmm. honestly, your dad sounds like it made you the person that you are now so that you could make that business thrive even more. Do you know what I mean? Mm hmm. It's so interesting. It's also really interesting when you said, um, I think it's an athlete thing because we grow up and we set these goals and we work our butts off and then you don't know everything that you have learned is actually business. And, mm. and uh, like I, I said in my first podcast, I didn't realize that I had been running my own business for 20 years since I was 16 years old. Not just marketing, but branding and and everything on top of it. So the way that you had to – or your um, dean kind of broke it down for you is exactly what mm-hmm. every athlete that is retiring has to do and be like, these are the skills that you actually have and you are actually good at a lot of things and a lot better than most business people. It's really interesting once you like are step outside yeah. and look back in. So cool. Yeah,
2: All yeah. right. Joey, yeah.
3: and now you're running. How many bars do you have in Whistler?
2: Oh, um, <laughs> well, yeah, we've got, well, we've got, I can tell you um, right now, we've got, well, we've got, we've got about, we've got 21 businesses like that we, that we own and operate in, in total in varying degrees. So there's bars and there's restaurants, and nightclubs, yeah. and we've got into some, you know, festivals and events and we've got a brewery, just, to, you know, a bunch of various businesses, but it all sort of like it was all very organic and in, in, in the way that we, that we went about it.
3: It's, it's flourished. And honestly, if you, if you see videos of Whistler and you look at the Longhorn patio, everyone wants to be there. It's mm-hmm. the very like happening place. And obviously, you have mm-hmm. other businesses that are thriving as well. And I just have to pat you on the back for that because you're, you're giving that life and soul that, that your dad and the eight other people um, brought to Whistler at first and you're, you're keeping it going and I know a lot of Whistler people thank you for that
2: <laughs> Oh, well, That's nice, I mean it, listen I think we've got, one thing Whistler does I think you mentioned it earlier is I think the type of humans that are attracted to Whistler in general mm-hmm. who, who get that thing in the mountains, like that feeling of, Yeah, I think that one thing that I realize about Whistler is that it attracts a certain type of person and that person like really loves it Yeah. And, and then they find a, they find a space to make it work for them in that while being in there so they can be there longer. And Mm -hmm. some of those people find their world in the RMOW. Some of them find it in tourism whistler. Some of them find it in business. Some of them find it in sports. Some of them find it as in ski patrols. Some of them find it in guiding. Some of them like, and there's, like the amount of love that I feel like people have for Whistler mm-hmm. is like at this high, high level. And there's so, so much passion around it. Right. And, and everyone yeah. has their own Whistler. They really, they feel connected to it in their own way. It's and, true. And I think the type of person who that is, is like, I think it's a lot of, so fearlessness, meaning mm-hmm. like when you asked that question earlier in the rapid fire around like the, um, you I think it was around failing. It was around like yeah, the, the thing lessons. you've learned the, the hard way. Like, yeah, like it. Yeah, of course it hurts when you fall, or it hurts when you fail, or you try something and the town, you know, tells you it's bad. Or you open a restaurant, and your friends like, because you know, here's the the one thing I hear all the time is, "Hey Joey, I I know no one else would say this to you, but I went there and your this was bad." It was like, "Yeah, no, everyone's pretty comfortable saying that to me, right?" Because like, <laughs> it's like it, it's like it's 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 you know, and so you see you you like don't you know, you no one wants to fail at stuff, but when you try stuff, you like you fail and you I think well, that is
3: it's true, but you got to start somewhere and then you get the feedback and then you make it better.
2: Right. But this I think a whole pile of people who move to Whistler who like a lot of them aren't scared to fail. That's why yeah. they send it. I yeah. think that's why you get a lot of people. Like I jumped off stuff that I, you know, I wasn't ever, I, I didn't, I was like fearless. Right. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people who move to Whistler. I think moving to Whistler is scary for a lot of people, yeah. but there's a, it attracts a certain type of people who are fearless and they go out there And they push limits, whether it is on the mountain or it's, you know, in business or it's in art or it's in, um, and I think that's really a big part of what makes us special. And our kids are wired genetically the same way that the adults are that have moved there. And so as a result, you get this like incredible mix of
1: Passionate people. It's so
2: um,
3: cool. Can I ask you, you brought up your kids. How is it growing, like having kids grow up in Whistler?
2: The best. It's the best. I, think See, the like, thing I is, appreciate it way more now as an adult than I did as a kid. Like, I appreciate it way more as an adult. Like, there it, it's, it's we go. Kind of in it. It's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I appreciate we, it we, so much more as a dad raising kids in this town. It's just, I mean, our town is, I, I mean, it's just such a special place for, to be in it, to, to raise kids. Yeah.
3: Yeah. For sure, for sure. Okay, Joey, I, what I do in my podcast is do a little wrap-up of what I've taken from our quick conversation about, obviously, yeah. what makes a Whistler kid and how awesome it is to be here, obviously. What I take from yours is uh, is your searching for happiness, the be-all and end-all, and Whistler does have part of that. There's a huge amount of passion that comes with not just our community, but people that do visit here as well because – They're here for a reason and they stay for a reason. And then the one thing that I really thought was very cool, obviously if to our listeners, Whistler has a pedestrian village um, that is unlike anything I've ever seen when I've gone traveling. It's so beautiful. And what you said is, well, I mean, you were walking through the village and you literally got into university by walking through the village. So that brings me to believe that anything is possible on the village stroll.
1: (laughs) Mm-hmm.
3: very very mm-hmm. cool um and that it is very awesome to have that next generation of kids growing up in whistler i think that they're going to be amazing mm-hmm. at whatever they do because they are surrounded by great human beings in a great community and great parents did i miss anything
2: no i think that's i think that's good I'm, yeah, i remember now that you say that like i've never thought about that so much but as a kid we used to just go and sit there in front of um you know, the the, cheetahs that used to be cheetahs. And we just like sit there and just like watch and the people watching that goes on there and the flow that happens. And I think like, that's a big thing with the longhorn too. Like, although it's like, like I was challenged by people who said, yo, Joey, you think you're so good at Avafrae. And I was like, never was never thinking. I was just like, they're like, you got to check Europe out. So my wife and I've been going to um, several European ski on ski trips the last few years. Like we used to go there when we were kids, but I never looked at it from sort of an adult point of view. Mm-hmm. and so now it's like that's where it's all of a sudden we're like we want to like really go for it and now with blacks and Longhorns. but I think it's my favorite thing is when coming down the mountain and like the longhorn will be going you know busy and there'll be people having fun from all over the world and I love seeing that but yeah. what I like even more and what I really encourage the DJs to do is if you turn it up like that you got to play to everybody outside your walls because right. like you're saying that whole stroll area
1: mm-hmm. is
2: such an important piece to affect that in a positive way. So when you go by there and see all the kids and everyone dancing on the outside, yeah, that's like almost more important to me than what's going on the inside. Yeah. And then, you know, and I think like having that um, support of our neighbors and I think like the collaboration that we have in our community and that sort of support for one another is what I believe makes us um, so special and has yeah. always been there from the start. Like we weren't a corporate entity that came through into whistler and put a cookie cutter in place it was like a whole bunch of young entrepreneurs that came together and just had to figure out how to turn a garbage dump into what it is today
3: yeah and that's what makes whistler special i I can't say it enough the community and the people in it are are what makes it and it's always interesting when a big corporation comes in and thinks that they can do what they want to do and it doesn't always work (laughs) we're different whistler for sure it
2: it never has it never it never has (laughs)
3: Yeah. Well, Joey, thank you for your time and thank you for dropping in with me today. I appreciate it.
0: Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirtbags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you.